Chapter 36, Stands and Falls. Mr. Curtin, Mr. Curtin, sir, buzzed SQ's voice through the intercom. For Rainey, the interruption could not have come at a better moment. For what seemed an eternity now, he had watched Sticky alternately frown with effort and smile with relief, his tea-colored skin going almost as pale as honey and perspiration trickling down his cheeks like tears. But the frowns had at last faded away, replaced entirely by the pleasant, contented smiles. Sticky had made a great effort, but in the end, he couldn't help it. He had stopped resisting. Mr. Curtin, however, did not welcome the interruption. After a night with too few sessions, he'd finally got a messenger into his whisperer again, only to struggle unexpectedly. The machine had gone balky as an old donkey, losing Mr. Curtin's train of thought and sometimes misunderstanding him altogether. Usually, the mental effect for him was of speaking into a telephone and hearing his own voice in the receiver. But this session had been like hearing himself through a staticky radio. It was the boy. It must be. And Mr. Curtin had just begun to suspect that George was an unfit messenger after all that in fact, he might be untrustworthy when the session improved. The boy's mind grew more receptive. The whispers wrinkled messages straightened and Mr. Curtin had at last settled into some real productive work. He was just finishing the session when the interruption came. Mr. Curtin, please, sir, it's an emergency. Rats and dogs, Mr. Curtin said furiously, thrusting off his helmet. Behind him, the cuffs and blue helmet freed Sticky, who rose, wobbling, in a state of weak confusion. Rainey leaped forward to support him. What is it, SQ? Mr. Curtin said, pressing the intercom button on his wheelchair. It had better be important. It is, sir. Two students are trying to break into the tower. Rainey closed his eyes. His heart sank. The executives knew what the girls were up to and SQ was already outside the door. It was over then. After all this, after Sticky had been so brave, had tried so hard. Two students, Mr. Curtin was saying. By students, you mean children, do you not? Um, yes, sir, came SQ's uncertain reply. Do you mean to tell me you can't prevent two children from breaking in? Um, well, sir, we're supposed to comprehend, I mean, apprehend. I mean, we're sure to catch them soon. I just thought I should alert you. Thank you, SQ, said Mr. Curtin, who did not sound at all thank you. Consider me alerted. And by the way, unless you are presented with an actual emergency, I want no further interruptions. Understood? Yes, Mr. Curtin, came SQ's reply. Sorry. Mr. Curtin. With a disgusted shake of his head, Mr. Curtin exclaimed, Children, am I supposed to fear unarmed children? No doubt they're in cahoots with my prisoner, unlikely agents, but no matter, they'll soon join him. He grew silent, staring intently at Sticky, as if considering how best to cut him up and cook him. George, I'm afraid I was not terribly pleased with your performance. No. In fact, I was rather displeased. Reynard will take over for you now. 
We will see about you later. There could be no doubt what Mr. Curtin meant by we will see about you. But Sticky was too exhausted at the moment to be afraid. He only shook his head. He had done all he could. Mr. Curtin gestured impatiently toward the cushions, and Rainy helped Sticky over to them. Sticky collapsed. Rainy turned to meet Mr. Curtin's gaze and saw in those silvery lenses the reflection of his own uncertain, frightened face. The time has come, Reynard, said Mr. Curtin. Unsatisfactory though your friend's session has been, we are nonetheless close, very, very close. Mr. Curtin coughed and wiped his pale, moist brow. As if to himself, he mumbled, I'm afraid I must pause for refreshment though, but only for a moment. It can't hurt to savor the occasion, at any rate. A cup of juice then. Do you hear me, Reynard? I shall have a cup of juice. After that, only a few minutes more. And then, and then, the improvement will begin. Can you believe? I can scarcely believe it myself. Mr. Curtin's face, though pale and drawn, quite gleamed with exultation. His dream was on the cusp of becoming reality. Rainy glanced at the whisper. Then his glance hardened into a focused gaze. He couldn't tear his eyes away. Didn't the whisper look inviting, comforting? It almost seemed to be speaking to him, whispering to him all the way over here. Was it whispering to him? Whispering the unthinkable thing? Don't struggle for nothing, Reynard. You can still join, Mr. Curtin. Be important. Be a part of something. But, but Mr. Benedict, Rainy thought, he, he needs me to... Mr. Benedict, is he the one who tricked you into joining him? Who encouraged you to cheat on quizzes? Who offered you special opportunities? Or was that Mr. Curtin, who said cheating doesn't bother him? Who rounded up poor unfortunates only to give them a better life? Who has offered you a chance to be an executive? How different are the two men? Not very, Reynard. The only difference is that one can offer you only suffering now, while the other offers you a way to belong, a way to relieve the loneliness. Shaken, Rainy thought, but Miss, Miss Perumal, you can help her. You can warn her. Tell her to keep quiet about the voices in her head. You'll have Mr. Curtin's ear. You can vouch for Miss Perumal. You can protect her. Rainy clasped his hands to his head. But would she want me to do that at such a cost? No, she wouldn't. And yet, and yet, it's impossible. There's no way out. Mr. Curtin had finished his juice and was watching Reynard watch the whisperer. You've missed it, I see, purred Mr. Curtin. Well, miss it no longer. Take your seat, Reynard. Take your rightful place. Rainy's mind was so foggy. Had Mr. Curtin said, your rightful place? Or was that his own mind? And who had been talking to him before that? Wasn't it the whisperer? No, he realized. Unfortunately not. It wasn't the whisperer at all. It was Rainy himself. Reynard, Mr. Curtin prompted. Rainy made his way toward the whisperer. The session would go quickly. A few minutes, Curtin had said and then it would be over. And then he swallowed hard. 
What would happen to Constance? Would something dreadful happen to her when Mr. Curtin boosted the power? And what would become of the others? He looked back at Sticky, slumped on a cushion in a posture of weary defeat. Despite his terror in the face of the whisperer's irresistible power, Sticky had resisted with all his might. He would never have done that if not for Rainey's urging. And now it had put him into disfavor with Mr. Curtin. Was Rainey really going to help Mr. Curtin? It would be a betrayal of their friendship. And Kate, to think of what they'd been through together and the risks she'd taken. The Doptra Curtin. The cuffs clasped Rainey's wrists. The helmet lowered. Rainey closed his eyes, only to see the faces of his friends. He remembered the final question of Mr. Benedict's first test. Are you brave? Now, at least, Rainey knew the answer. He wasn't brave. He had only hoped he was. Good, said the whisperer. What is your name? Just get it over with quickly, Rainey told himself. Welcome, Reynard Muldoon. Welcome, Rainey repeated. Yes, welcome was such a, such a welcoming word. It made you feel a part of something. It made you feel not alone. No, he was not alone at all. And yet, Reynard Muldoon, what do you fear most? In his mind's eye, Rainey still saw the faces of his friends, Sticky, Kate, Constance, all watching him with concern. They'd been through so much together. Was he really going to betray them? You could never be more alone than if you betrayed your friends, Rainey said to himself. Instantly, the whisperer's voice said, don't worry, you will never betray your friends. You are brave enough. Rainey was so startled, he almost laughed aloud. The whisperer was too perspective for its own good. At the moment, at the most important moment of all, it had given him just the encouragement he needed, the encouragement to help him fight it. Let us begin, said the whisperer. Rainey was flooded with a terrific sense of well-being, real well-being, not an illusion at all. He would not betray his friends. He knew that now. He had confronted his worst fear, and now it was gone. No need for the whisperer to deny it. There was nothing left to deny. Let us begin, the whisperer repeated. Rainey braced himself. Let the worst come. He would be brave enough to resist, and he would not be alone. Let us begin, the whisperer repeated more insistently. Not just yet, Rainey thought. Let us begin. First, let me polish my spectacles, Rainey thought. Let us begin. Not without my bucket, Rainey insisted. He heard Mr. Curtin muttering behind him. Let us begin, let us begin, let us begin. Rules and schools are tools for fools, Rainey thought. And then, as if he had conjured her, Rainey heard Constance's shrill voice. It was perhaps the first time he had ever been glad to hear it. Help! Open up! Let me in! Pah! sputtered Mr. Curtin. What is wrong with this infernal machine? And now another interruption. Where is that voice coming from? From the window, said Sticky, who looked every bit as surprised as Mr. Curtin. The window? 
Mr. Curtin said, thrusting the red helmet from his head and looking toward the window. Nothing was visible beyond it except blue sky. He grunted and lowered the helmet again. Never mind. We'll just ignore it. I am going to finish this session if it's the last thing. Open up, open up, open up, shrieked Constance. That's going to be difficult to ignore, sir, Rainey said as Constance continued to shriek. This is outrageous. How am I to concentrate if... Mr. Curtin's face twisted with frustration. Very well, I'll have to address this. The window latch is too high for me to reach from my chair. However, George, he glanced suspiciously at Sticky, then shook his head. No, George, you stay where you are. Reynard, go and see what the trouble is. The cuffs unclasped his wrists. The helmet went up. Rainy needed no prodding. In an instant, he was across the room and scrabbling at the window catch. He flung open the panes and looked down. Just beneath the window, the miniature figure of Constance Contraire clung desperately to the flagpole. Rainey's first impression was of a koala bear hugging the trunk of a fallen eucalyptus tree, her entire body trembling with effort, her eyes rolling with fright. She had good reason. The least slip would send her plummeting to rocky ground. Nor, apparently, was the ground a safer place to have remained. For there, Kate was engaged in a furious struggle. Rainey's heart swelled with pride and hope. It might be bad, but it wasn't over. The girls weren't captured yet. Well, Mr. Curtin demanded from across the room, what is it? Sticky was watching with a hint of new hopefulness. Rainey kept his face turned away. He must not reveal his smile to Mr. Curtin. It's those children S.Q. mentioned, sir. One appears to have been apprehended. The other is stuck on the flagpole outside the window. Mr. Curtin seemed unsure whether to laugh or snarl. Go ahead and haul him inside then. This will be our last interruption. It's a girl, sir, Rainey corrected. Sticky, can you help me? Sticky, having recovered a bit of strength, came over to hold Rainey's legs as he reached out and lifted the frightened girl through the window. Well, well, well. Constance Contraire, said Mr. Curtin with apparent satisfaction. Just as I suspected. I knew all along you weren't to be trusted. In fact, I would have taken care of you long ago had it not been for... He gave a sudden start whipping off his glasses to reveal bright green, horribly bloodshot eyes, eyes quite flaming with angry realization. Had it not been, he repeated, turning those eyes now on Rainey, for you. Mr. Curtin threw his silver glasses to the floor, as if without them, he would have seen the truth much sooner. And then to the children's great confusion and horror, the fearsome man unstrapped himself, rose from the wheelchair to stand at his full alarming height, and strode across the room to seize them. Kate Weatherall, meanwhile, was fighting for her life. Martina Crow had been hoping for just this sort of occasion, an opportunity to exact revenge for past humiliations. And now Jackson and Jilson, never the most delicate creatures to begin with, were equally determined to knock Kate about, having been embarrassed, not to mention bruised, 
by her bucket. Kate might be clever and quick as a fox, but she was a weary fox now and one among hounds. Still, she had managed to inflict some unpleasantness. In addition to the knot on Jackson's head, his pointy nose was swollen and red where she'd pinched it to encourage her release. Jilson's ear was ringing painfully, the result of a well-placed elbow. And Martina had been rebuffed by an excruciating shin scrape. The executives circled her more warily now, looking for the right moment to renew their attack. Kate crouched, watching them carefully, her lasso at the ready. For once, Constance had followed Kate's advice, had untied herself so that the executives couldn't yank her down and the rope was now free. The others circled and circled, eyeing the lasso, looking for a weakness. But it was Kate who saw one first. Martina had taken an awkward step, was slightly off balance. Kate fainted to the side, moving as if to flee. And when Martina lunged to stop her, Kate snared her ankle with the lasso and jerked her off her feet. Martina landed in the dust with an angry growl. It was an excellent throw, but it was also the beginning of the end. Before Kate could let go of her rope, Martina grabbed it and heaved. Kate was pulled off balance, and Jackson chose that exact moment to give her a shove, and no gentle shove at that. It was as if she'd been struck by a ram. Kate went reeling, trying to catch herself, but it was Jilson who caught her. The next few minutes were wretched ones indeed. Kate's ears were boxed, her hair pulled, her cheeks pummeled with Jilson's bolt-like knuckles. And though she writhed and twisted, swung her fists and kicked her feet, she could do nothing to stop them. Kate had told herself she could handle the executives, but she'd been fooling herself, just as she had fooled herself for so long. She couldn't do everything by herself. She realized that now. Kate stopped struggling. Why struggle? She was of no use now to her friends, herself, or anyone. She was completely overcome, helpless, and alone. The bitter irony wasn't lost on Kate. The moment she finally admitted to herself that she needed help, there was no help to be found. As if reading her thoughts, Martina hissed, now you realize how outclassed you are, don't you, Weatherall? I don't blame you for giving up. Don't kid yourself, Martina, Kate mumbled through bloody lips. I'm just taking a nap while you yammer on. This infuriated Martina, and as Jackson and Jilson redoubled their grips on Kate's limbs, the raven-haired girl prepared to unleash her most vicious attack yet. Stepping back to get a running start, she cried, I'll kick you until you cry for mercy, Weatherall. I'll make you suffer until you beg me to stop. I'll beat you until you admit I'm the best. I'll... You'll do no such thing, said an unfamiliar voice, followed by three successive swit, swit, swits, upon which Martina's eyes crossed, Jackson and Jilson sighed, and all three collapsed upon the ground unconscious dart feathers blooming from their shoulders, as if by magic. Where Martina Crow had been, Milligan now stood with his tranquilizer gun. Covered from head to toe in slimy black mud, his left arm in a sling, 
fashioned from an executive's blood-stained tunic. Milligan, wonder of wonders, was grinning at Kate with joyous eyes. That was why his voice had seemed unfamiliar. It was too cheerful. She hadn't recognized it at all. And yet, staring at him all the while, Kate rose unsteadily to her feet. And yet, something about those eyes. There was something familiar about him after all. Something, sorry it took me so long, Katie Cat, said her father.